And one day I was at my job and my older cousin sent me a text and he was like, hey, what's your net worth? And I was just like, my net worth? You know, I only think about celebrities when I hear the term net worth. I was like, I don't know. I was 23. So he was like, well, if you're 23, your net worth should be at least $23,000. And I'm just like, what? Like, how is my net worth going to be $23,000 when I graduated with $38,000 of student loan debt, you know, on top of the interest that's growing now? And so that was kind of a wake up call when I did my net worth numbers and I saw that I was in the negatives. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan. And mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Candace Latham. Candace has built a personal brand that helps people be the hero in their finances, get out of debt, and build wealth. Candace also started using her skills from her 9 to 5 and agency job to start her own design business on the side, the Latham Agency, which has allowed her to reach her big money goals faster, like paying off $47,000 in debt and going from a negative net worth to a positive one. Today, Candace and I are going to talk about how our histories with money impact our money beliefs and behaviors, what moved her from just learning about money to actually getting out of debt, and how you can grow your wealth. As always, stick around until the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this conversation with Candace, or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Candace for the complete show notes. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Candace, how are you? Hey, Chelsea, I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Tell me what's been going on in your world. My world has just been, you know, just me just trying to stay focused with everything that's going on in the world. I'm not just trying to get like sucked in into everybody else's orbit because I think it's so easy for us to get sucked in online to everything that's going on and lose, just lose your own focus of your day-to-day tasks. Are you still, are you working on any major projects in your business right now? You want to tell us a little bit about your business? I have two brands. I have my Candace Latham brand, which I help millennials defy the odds, build wealth and think differently. But I also have my other marketing and design business called the Latham Agency, where I help small business owners with their graphics and branding. Candace, I discovered you because um, a mutual friend of ours shared your video on race and personal finance last week. I'd love to hear your perspective and talk about that video a little bit about one of the pushbacks we hear all the time is like, well, don't bring your politics. We're just talking about money. Just be quiet and talk about money, which is, of course, ridiculous, right? Because we can't just talk about money. But why are race and politics so innately tied into money? Well, first of all, thank you so much for watching that video. But race and politics, you can't talk about one without the other, because I think when you're in the personal finance space and you're giving people advice, I think you have to be able to also just like know people's history, because everybody isn't starting from the same starting line. Sometimes when people are in the personal finance space giving advice, it's just like, these are just the the simple steps you have to follow, not realizing that based on our history of African-Americans in America, we have just endured so much. And because of what we've endured, we're starting at a different place than other people. Absolutely. And I think that there's that assumption sometimes. I got out of college or got out of high school with no money. So like, what benefit do I have? And it's that generational history has been passed down and passed down and passed down, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's not negating anybody else's struggle that they had to endure, but it's just like, imagine your struggles right now. And then on top of the history of struggle and, you know, within your generation, 
and especially like your grandparents didn't go to college and they weren't able to have the same job opportunities, that definitely plays a role as moving down. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things, and this is, you know, this isn't race, this is just generational, like what your educational background is, but we hear it often in applying for college, right? If you didn't have a parent that went to college or didn't fill out the financial aid forms, you have no idea how to, right? And you might not get as much aid and you might not be able to go to the same schools because you just don't have that knowledge. And that happens in all areas of finance, I think. Yes, that's so true. And and I also remember like my guidance counselor in my college just she was just telling me that maybe you should just aim for a community college, you know, like maybe just community college is just the best option for you. And, you know, if my school, I ended up going to Rochester Institute of Technology, but I didn't even learn about them unless they came to one day to the school to just let us know that they even existed. And I was just like, oh, RIT, let me apply here. And like, that's how I even learned about them. Am I correct that your mom works at a university? Yes, that's correct. So what was her insight and like advice as you were applying for school. And did you have siblings? I had siblings. So my mom, she didn't always work at the university. She was working at like a human resources company for like 17 years before that. So the university is kind of like a few years new. So during that time, she didn't work at the university. Financial aid and just applying for college, I was kind of up on my own, but there was this program that I learned about that was helping students in high school apply for college. They really did help me with that college applying process. Cause you know, my mom didn't go to college then. I didn't really have anybody to go to cause I'm kind of like the first person in my family to even go to college. Without that program, I feel like it would have been, I don't know if I would have made it to throughout the college process. And where did your siblings go to school? Did they? So I was the first one to go to college. And then my younger sister behind me, she ended up going to like Bentley university. And then my older sister <laughs> went and was inspired by us and got her degree as well. That's awesome. I love it. And then graduating from college, you started your debt-free journey, right? Can you tell us about, about that whole journey? I graduated college in 2011, and I had $38,000 of debt at that time. Even when I was in college, I didn't really know that everyone didn't receive financial aid. You know, I just thought everyone received financial aid. And I was in a class one day. One of the, my classmates was just like, oh, what's financial aid? What's that? Like, my mom and dad just wrote a check for all four years, my freshman year when I started, I'm just like, what? Like, you know, like my eyes were open. that kind of money? <laughs> I know. I'm like, what? On your freshman year, they just wrote a check for all four years. That's a lot of money. I graduated college with $38,000 of student loan debt. And then it was also hard for me to find a job. I didn't find a job until like maybe six months after graduation when my student loans were basically about to kick in. Where did you go after school while you were looking for that job? Did you move back home? Yeah, I had to move back home because I didn't have like a job lined up. Boston is expensive. So I feel like I didn't have any choice but to go back home. We were in Norwood, Mass. So we were in Boston until about two years ago. I worked in the city for a while. So it is very expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I know that different parents have different perspectives on kids moving back home, right? (laughs) Like whether they have to pay rent or whether there's a limited time on how long you could be there. How did your mom handle that or your parents handle that? My mom, she was very welcoming. You know, she's just wanted to have more company. (laughs) Okay. So she was really welcoming and my room was still there. So that was good. We did have to pay like a small amount of rent. So first it started off just being like $200. But then as time went on, then it was like, I think the max I ended up paying was like $360. So it was still super affordable. Super affordable. Um, I don't mind helping out my mom, you know. I didn't know anywhere else I could live in Boston for $200 a month. (laughs) No, not anywhere you'd want to be. 
There was no time limit. She didn't put a time limit on me either. Gotcha. And so when you saw this $38,000 in debt, did you immediately, were you immediately passionate about paying it off? Or was this like a discovery journey you had to go on? No, it was definitely a discovery journey. (laughs) (laughs) So I had read like different personal finance books in college, but like I'm reading them, but I'm not really taking the stuff seriously. So it's like, I'm aware of things that are happening, but I wasn't really applying it to my life just yet. But it was still helpful to just have the knowledge in my brain so I could pull from it when I when the time was right. (laughs) And we talk about, we hear from a lot of people who have gone on these big debt journeys that they kind of were aware of it for a while. And then there was like some aha moment or wake up call where they had a fire lit under them. Do you have a moment like that where you finally got passionate about it? Yeah, I do. So I was working like my second job at this time. So I graduated in 2011. Now it's like 2013. And up until that point, I'm just still paying the minimum balance on my debt. And then one day I was at my job and my older cousin sent me a text and he was like, hey, what's your net worth? And I was just like, my net worth? You know, I only think about celebrities when I hear the term net worth. I was like, I don't know. I was 23. So he was like, well, if you're 23, your net worth should be at least $23,000. And I'm just like, what? Like, how is my net worth going to be $23,000 when I graduated with $38,000 of student loan debt? You know, on top of the interest that's growing now, that was kind of a wake up call when I did my net worth numbers and I saw that I was in the negatives. So I was just like, wait, how do I change this? It's always fascinating to me when we first talk to people about net worth, (laughs) something that comes back sometimes is like, I think I did something wrong. The number is negative. (laughs) It's like, well, net worth can be negative. (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of people still don't really understand the term net worth. I remember one time someone was talking to me and they were like, well, Candace, if I have $2,000 in my savings account, like I'm not in the negatives. And I'm like, well, just because the money is there doesn't mean that you're not in the negatives. If you're listening and you haven't done this, we have a full post on like calculating your net worth, but it's very simply your assets. So your your money in your bank account, real estate, if you own it, at least the equity portion minus the liabilities. So your mortgage, your student loans, your credit card debt, minus all those things. And it's actually homes are an interesting one, Candace. Do you own property now? No, not right now. That's a goal of mine, though. Often people think they're buying a home to really increase their net worth and it might increase their net worth long term. But at the beginning... If you don't put down that much of a down payment, you don't actually have that much equity in your house. And then people will take on debt to furnish the house and to cover closing costs. And they'll notice that their net worth might have actually flipped negative or gone down instead of going up the way they thought it was going to be. So while a home can be a building asset, it's a long-term building asset and it might not move your net worth that much at the beginning. Oh, I see. Yeah. I always wonder, like, so when people are doing their net worth who own homes, are they including like the equity in the house and their net worth, and then they're subtracting by the debt. I always wondered about that. Well, the equity would be what was still your asset. You'd put the full value of the house or what you could resell the house at in your asset column, and then you'd subtract the debt, which would normally keep you positive. The question is how much you put down. And so what I recommend people do, especially with a house, is subtract the real estate commission you would have to pay and any fees to sell the house. Because if you only put down 5% and you have to pay your real estate agent 5%, your equity, when if you were going to sell the house right now, would really be zero. So there's that adjustment you have to make. But everybody deals with it a little bit differently. So Candace, once you, you hurt your cousin tells you you're supposed to have way more money than, than you do, what's yeah. the first thing that you did? The first thing that I did was focus on getting rid of my credit card debt. Because I had credit card debt too at the time. So I was just like, okay, this is a higher interest. So let me focus on paying down this credit card debt first. I was already enrolled into like my company's 401k program. So I was investing there. But at the time, that was the only like investments that I had. I was like, okay, I want to 
have more investments at the same time. So I ended up using like my tax refund in order to open up a brokerage account. I opened up the brokerage account and I started focusing on paying off my credit card debt. What was the split? Like, how did you think about what was the priority? And then I'm curious too, why a brokerage instead of increasing to like a retirement account? Was your brokerage an IRA or was it just a standard taxable account? No, it was just a standard taxable account. And then it was just like over time, then I learned, okay, now I need a Roth IRA. So then that that came later, you know, I'm just kind of putting together little pieces. I always knew to just invest in my company's 401k. I was just like, okay, let me at least do, I think I was doing like 10% when I started. That's awesome. Yeah. It was easy for me because it was like, I'm already used to not living with this money. So let me just, just do it right now, you know, and then just spend what's left. So it was the 401k. And then after that, the brokerage came a little bit later because, you know, I used my tax refund money. So it's not like I had to like kind of save up for that. I was just like, okay, let me just take what, what's been given to me and open the account. And I mean, the student loan debt, I was still paying the minimum on. And then it was just focused on paying off the credit card debt. And I think I had two credit cards at the time. You have these this debt slaying e-challenge that you do that I think came from something you did personally first, right? Well, no, that the debt challenge came because I was like, okay, once my credit cards were paid off, I was just like, now it's time for me to move on to my student loan debt. The debt challenge was just a way to make paying off debt more fun. Cause I was just like, it's kind of boring paying off debt by myself, but if I kind of make it into a game and invite other people in, I feel like I can pay it off faster. Who did you invite in? I just sent like an email to my email list and I just was like, Hey guys, I'm thinking about putting together this debt challenge. I'm trying to gather, you know, maybe like 10 people would you be interested? So people started saying like, yeah, I'd be interested in it. So it was ended up being like 10 of us collectively. Then how did it work? Was there like a buy-in? Was there a specific goal people were supposed to hit? Yeah. So there was a buy-in, I believe, man, now I'm trying to remember what the buy-in was initially. It might've been like a hundred dollars. Maybe the hot buy-in was like a hundred dollars. And then every week they had to send me screenshots of their debt. And we were in like a Facebook group. So every week I was updating people and obviously I couldn't win the challenge, but it was still motivating for me to see other all the debt people were paying off every week. I'm like, oh my gosh, they put like a thousand dollars towards the debt. Let me like try to find a way for me to put more money towards my debt. Was it the person who paid off the most debt or the highest percentage of their debt that got the money at the end? Yeah, it was the person who paid off the most debt got the money at the end. And did you see people start to side hustle and pick up ways to what was the dynamic within that group? Some people were like selling items that they had. Uh, I had another friend who just started doing like personal training on the side. So he was making money, helping people get their, reach their fitness goals. Some people were just not going out as often. And so what did you do? What was your mission at that point? For me at that point, I was, I had the nine to five, but I also, you know, I had my blog. So I was making money from the blog and then also like doing side projects on the side, helping people with their graphics and marketing. So that's how I was able to make extra money. So we mentioned earlier the importance of like personal history and like family dynamic and how we handle money. So I'm curious, do you consider yourself more of a saver or a spender? And do you feel like you learn those lessons from your parents? I feel like I am. I feel like I have a mixture of both. (laughs) (laughs) My mom has always been like super frugal, but my dad, he was, he liked to spend money. So it was very much about having the nice car and having the nice shoes. So I had to kind of learn how to look good, but not place my value on, you know, having super expensive items in order to look good so that I could save money to reach my goals. So I kind of took little pieces. (laughs) As you were doing that, were you budgeting? Did you start really tracking your spending? I was tracking my spending because I had to 
Okay, so it was an interesting journey. Because eventually it got to the point where at my nine to five, I ended up getting let go. They had like, they lost a big account at this ad agency. Now I had $10,000 student loan debt left. And I'm like, oh my gosh, now I just lost the job. How am I going to still pay this debt off? At that point, I needed to at least pay like maybe $1,000 a month towards my debt at this time. So I'm like, okay, I have to track my spending because I need this extra $1,000. Did you have a specific budgeting method that you like and that you use? Can you tell us about it? I don't have like a super specific one. Like I just look at like, okay, what do, what are my main expenses that need to get paid? You know, housing, food, what are my, like, you know, my business expenses in there? How much am I bringing in for my business? And then I'm seeing like, okay, basically once everything, my, my mandatory bills are paid, what is left over? Do you set aside a certain amount for joyful things for things for yourself? Or is that all that money going towards investing in debt? I think when I was doing the debt challenge, I was definitely more focused on just not having any money for fun. And then at the end of the debt challenge, because it only lasted for 10 weeks, I just realized that I was just putting every penny and every dime towards my debt. And I was just super unhappy. So what happened is I at the end of the last week of the debt challenge, I was unhappy and I just booked a trip to Aruba. I'm like, you know what, I'm just booking this trip and, and I don't care. <laughs> So I think it's important that I, I was having money to have fun and do things that bring me joy so that I'm not miserable and just booking a trip last minute <laughs> to another country. <laughs> but doing it not on a credit card is a totally different feeling, right? When you actually have the cash to just book the trip, you can enjoy it more. You can enjoy it more. And now it's like I, I try to make it a game if I go on vacation. Like, okay, this is the money I've saved for the vacation, but can I bring any money back home with me? <laughs> <laughs> Mamas, before we hear more from Candace about navigating her debt payoff journey, even after a job loss, and how you can do the same, let's take a quick break to hear from our amazing sponsors who help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. Today's podcast is brought to you by Policy Genius. Mamas, we know insurance is a crucial part of financial security, and we know we need to shop around to get the best price. But getting multiple quotes and remembering to check back in to see how rates have changed can be a pain. That's why I love Policy Genius. Whether you're looking for term life insurance, homeowners, or disability, you can get multiple quotes from trusted providers in just minutes. And Policy Genius owns the process from start to finish. Choose a policy that fits your needs and purchase right on the Policy Genius site. No annoying phone calls or emails from a dozen providers you didn't pick. Head to policygenius.com forward slash smart money mamas to see if you could be saving money on your insurance needs today. So you said you have two businesses now, right? You have the personal finance business mm-hmm. and you have your marketing business. Is that your full-time job now? Yes, currently that's my full-time. What made you diversify, right? We have a lot of people that listen that are interested in side hustles or entrepreneurship. Why did you start the second business? Well, I started the the second business because I feel like, you know, I have my background and my degree in design. That's where the money was coming easiest for me. <laughs> you know, so I was just trying to go where the money was easily flowing. That is what is the majority. And even still today, it's the majority that pays my bills. I think that I just had to focus on putting majority of my focus there while still, you know, having the personal finance brand be like my passion. And so are you doing images and media for websites, for social media? What does that business look like? A lot of the clients that I have are actually in the personal finance space. So that's interesting. It's like, even though I'm like majority of my income is coming from doing design and graphics and branding, 
it's still helping people in the personal finance space. <laughs> so that's okay. I'm still able to combine my passions there. So I like to work with brands that even if they're not in the personal finance space, they're making a, an impact in the world in a positive way. So those are the people that I usually like to work with. I'm doing like social media graphics, presentations, branding, mostly those are the, the categories that it falls in. This is really fascinating because we had, um, I think it was almost two months ago now, we had Tiffany Alicia on the podcast talking about multiple streams of income. And she was talking about how she always likes to think about it like a, a spoke wheel, right? Of like, you have your main core talents and then you kind of just have to have lots of lots of different streams of income that are kind of related and that you've like tied both together of like, I'm going to take personal finance and marketing and make yeah. another business <laughs> uh, is, is exactly what she was talking about. So guys, mamas, that's a good example of that as well. What money goals, so you've paid off your debt. Yes. How long did it take you to, to fully pay off that debt? To pay off of my student loan debt, I want to say since I graduated in 2011 and I didn't become debt free until I want to say December 2016. So it was a long time. You know, it's not like one of those microwave stories where it's like, I paid off $47,000 of debt in two years. Like, no, it took a long time. Those stories sweep so much under the rug of like, yeah, I was able to put 70% of my income towards debt. I make $250,000 a year. (laughs) Yeah, that's another thing. Oh, so frustrating. What really helped me was just living at home, you know, having my low expenses so that I can put more money towards my debt. And then earning money on the side also helped me. Once I became debt free, I also still, I had a positive net worth. So like my net worth when I paid off all my debt was more than what my original student loan balance was. So like my net worth was like over $38,000, even though I was debt free. I think that's important because I think a lot of people are just rushing to be debt free and not investing at all. Like I didn't want that to be my story. And I'm curious. So your cousin inspired some of this, right? Yeah. And your siblings, you say your older sister went to school after you and your other sister, right? Other sister went to school. So as you're doing this money stuff, have have you been talking about it at all as a family? Do you continue to talk about net worth when you paid off your debt? No, not really. We don't really talk about money as a family as much. Like, I mean, sometimes if my younger sister has a question, like she'll come to me. We're not like sitting down having family meetings. I think they do see my content and watch my videos. But sometimes when the people are closest to you, like you hear what they're saying, but you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just Candace, you know? I remember one time my sister was just like, oh my gosh, so I just found out about Dave Ramsey. Um, and I'm just like reading his blogs and everything. And he says that I should do this with my money. And I'm like, yeah, hello. I've been saying this. <laughs> Told you that 15 times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. So that's me and my brother, by the way. My younger brother is like, I'm not going to listen to you. And actually, I don't know if they listen to this podcast. <laughs> this might throw them under the bus. But his girlfriend texted me like a year ago and was like, can you please talk to your brother about money? Like he just, <laughs> and I was like, do you think I haven't tried? Like, it's just like, I know. He knows. He just doesn't want to talk about it with me. And that's its own thing for sure. Oh man. That's good to know that I'm not the only one. <laughs> I hope it's that like some, at some point by osmosis, they've heard us say it enough that they're like, okay, I'm going to do that now. We won't get credit for it, but hopefully they ultimately do. <laughs> yeah. And there was actually a story I want to bring up. I heard on another podcast that you were on, I think it was Stacks in the City, about your mom's allowance with you guys when you were growing up. Can you tell us about how she ran that? Oh, yeah. So growing up, my mom, she would give us $5 a week, right? And that $5 had to last us the entire week. 
in the beginning, it was okay. You know, I was making it work. But then as I got older, I'm like, wait, $5 is not enough money. Like, you know, it's gone so fast. Yeah, that's when I had to like start finding other ways to make more money, even in high school. So yeah, I had to find like a part-time babysitting job on the weekends. So that's how I was able to make money in high school. So was babysitting your first job? Yeah, babysitting at a ski resort was my first job. And then I was also in like a scholars program. So I would receive a stipend from that. And what was your next job after babysitting? Hmm, That's a good question. I think my next job after babysitting was like websites, doing like websites and designs for companies. It's always interesting for me to hear like the job background and the work background of different people, especially people that ultimately become entrepreneurs, right? Of like, we learn so much, I think, from those first job experiences of what we do and don't want to do, right? <laughs> Never again am I sitting in a ski resort with 30 crazy kids, right? That, you true. said that, I was like, oh my God, that sounds horrible. <laughs> I know. Yeah, well, luckily I didn't have to, I wasn't like out in the cold because I don't really like being out in the cold. I'm just like in the room with the children. So yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yep. But as a mom of two toddlers, I can say that doesn't make it any easier oh. just because you're worse. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That was, but that was just like a weekend getaway for no, me. No, no, no. But for you, like, this is my life. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just, yeah. Those play places are always interesting to go to as a parent, too, because like every parent is going there because they want a break, which means their kids are being extra crazy. <laughs> it's, just, it's an experience for sure. Now that you've paid off your debt, what's your next big money goal? What are you working towards? I feel like my next big money goal is real estate. So I want to buy a property. I think that's going to be my next big real estate goal. And then also just thinking about just more cash flow in general. So yeah, I think maybe I'm still deciding this going back to the nine to five worlds because I haven't been back to a nine to five since 2017, just so that I can have more money so I can reach my goals faster and then just have the other streams making my wheels even stronger. That nine to five gets a bad rap, but there is something to be said for steady income and benefits. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I know. <laughs> Tell me about it. For real estate, are you thinking about a primary residence or as a rental property? I think it'll probably start off as like a primary residence at first, and then maybe after a year or two, then rent that out and then get another one. That makes a lot of sense. We had Mindy Jensen from Bigger Pockets on talking about how they do live-in flips. I don't oh. know if you're familiar. You don't have to pay capital gains taxes when you sell a property if it was your primary residence for at least two years. So they buy a house, live in it, fix it sell it and don't have to pay capital gains and then buy another house and do it again. And they think they've done like 12. It's crazy. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah so I never heard of that. Another good thing to consider. <laughs> I know. Um, another good thing to consider. So Candace, what do you focus on, on your personal planet? What do you want people who are just starting this journey to know and to start to do? For me, I just simplified this a few days ago. (laughs) Even though I've had a personal finance brand for a long time, I think it's taken me a while to just figure out what are my core messages that I'm sending out into the world. So I broke it down to just defying the odds, building wealth, and thinking differently. Because I feel like mindset plays a huge role in finances. Can you tell me what defying the odds means? For me, defying the odds means that for me, like I grew up in the inner city and, you know, I didn't have like the most positive environment or just positive examples. So for me, going to FinCon kind of opened up my eyes to what was even possible in the world. I'm just like, what? People are investing their money. People are, you know, becoming debt free. People are owning their own businesses. So before that, all I knew was just, you know, work a nine to five, go home and do that until you're 65. You know, I didn't know about all the things that 
possibilities that were available. So when I say defy the odds, I'm like, even if you're in a, a certain place where the environment isn't the greatest for you, you can still change that around for your family. Absolutely. And Mamas, FinCon is a in-person conference once a year for people in financial media, bloggers, podcasters, things like that. And it is a really cool place for community, any of those types of events, right, where you can go and get outside of your normal circle. It's always eye-opening. It is. I think that that's what we have to do. We have to kind of change our environment if we want to, you know, grow and change our mindsets. Once we're kind of like committed to doing something differently, do you still do the debt challenges? No, I don't do the debt challenges anymore. I know people always ask me like, you should bring those back, but I haven't brought them back. So what resources do you have for people that are that are starting the journey? I have like a net worth tracker that people can use to track their net worth every month. And I've been thinking about doing like little net worth parties, like, you know, where we just come together on a video and like people don't have to share what their net worth numbers are, but just taking a time where every month we track them and then just share, okay, how how do you feel about it? Or did you make progress? Did you not make progress? And just thinking about making a space for people that way. And you have a workbook as well, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> how could I forget that? I was trying to get you there. <laughs> I know. Sorry. I have, my brain is just like always has like a thousand tabs of things. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm totally with you. I have a hero in your finances workbook that I created that, you know, that goes over mindset, that goes over budgeting and habits as well. So there's like a habit tracker. And we'll link that in the show notes, mamas. Candace, any last words for people who are listening to this who maybe are still paying off their debt? I just want you guys to just take it one payment at a time. For me, something that helped me is not focusing on the, the huge amount of debt that I had, I was just kind of breaking that down. So if when it came to my student loan debt, I'm like, okay, what is the smallest balance here? Or I know some people focus on the largest balance, but whatever you're choosing, just try to focus on that one number rather than the whole total pie. Because I feel like that kind of gave me more motivation. Like this is the one I'm going to focus on and it's a smaller number and it just seemed more possible for me. Also, just not neglecting your investments because I think it's so easy for us to just put every single dime and penny towards our debt but realize that investing, it does matter and it does help your net worth as well. Candace, before we let you go, we have to do a little bit of a silly thing and we have to have you try on our Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. The sorting hat is, I don't know if you're a Harry Potter friend, is our version of the hot seat where we have the magical hat reveal something about you. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> what was your first money memory? Yeah, I want to just say what popped in my head is just like McDonald's, you know, I'm just getting a happy meal and taking pictures at, at the, with the clown. <laughs> with the clown? Yeah. <laughs> with, what was his name? I forgot his name, but the McDonald's clown, he had like a little, like a red hair and he would wear like a yellow outfit. Ronald McDonald. Ronald McDonald, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're talking and I'm all I'm thinking about is the Hamburglar because the McDonald's oh. we went to growing up had the statue of the Hamburglar. <laughs> so I was like, the clown. Oh, Ronald McDonald. Ronald McDonald, yes. Ronald McDonald. Awesome. Candace, where can people follow up with you and continue to get your resources on improving their finances? Yes, you guys can find me on CandiceLatham.com. You can also find me on YouTube. If you just type in Candace Marie, I'll pop up there. And then I'm also on Instagram at everything Candace Latham. Awesome. Guys, we'll have links to all that in the show notes. Candace, thank you so much for joining us today. Hope we get to talk to you again soon. Thank you so much for having me. Mamas, how would you have felt if a friend or cousin told you your net worth was supposed to be over $20,000 in your early 20s? Would you have been like, yeah, of course. 
or freaking out that it was completely impossible. We all have different wake-up call moments in our money journeys, and for a lot of people, Candace's call from her cousin wouldn't have kicked them into action. Many, many people would have written those numbers off as ridiculous and gone back to their normal habits. That's why I love that Candace took that moment to lean on all the personal finance reading and education she'd done up to that point and really got motivated to change her financial situation. She said, all right, let's do this, and got to work crushing her debt. It's amazing and hopefully shows you that you can slay your debt too. As always, I rounded up my top three favorite takeaways from this conversation with Candace for you to bring into your own debt journey. First, not everyone's experience with money is the same. When it comes to money, our history matters, and not just who our parents were and how we were raised, though that matters greatly, but the generations that came before us. We have to acknowledge that our past, slavery, segregation, racism, makes racial injustice a money issue. Actually, on Candace's YouTube video on race and personal finance, which we'll link in the show notes, a commenter noted, racism has always been about finance. And it's so true. It's been about cheap or free labor and reducing competition, both of which allowed those in power, white families, to build wealth more quickly. Along with current policies and biases that are unjust, the racial wealth gap has been passed down generation to generation. That's not to say that you can't overcome your history. You can, but doing so is much harder for some people. We all need to acknowledge that and do the work to fix it. And when you compare yourself to others or even feel yourself judging others, don't discount that everyone's experience with money is different from your experience with money. Second, Community and changing your frame of reference is so important. I loved Candace's story about her first debt slaying challenge and how just seeing people making big debt payoffs or side hustling to grow their wealth would kick her into action. The saying from Jim Rohn, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, holds truth. The people we surround ourselves with give us a frame of reference. It influences what we believe about ourselves, what we believe is possible. It dictates our normal. But we can change those people, not by kicking negative family or friends out of our lives, but by bringing in more people that motivate us and lift us up. It's why we have the Mamas Talk Money community, where you can find women that want to talk about money goals, learn, and share wins. If you're not in that group yet, I encourage you to go join. If you're feeling unmotivated or like your goals are impossible, seek out a community where you feel inspired. It can make all the difference. And finally, third, pay attention to both sides of your net worth. Candace made the decision to prioritize investing and paying off debt. She was contributing to her 401k and adding to taxable investments while also focusing on reducing expenses and increasing her income to pay off more debt. It can be helpful to focus on one main money goal at a time. It can speed your debt payoff, giving you more money to put towards your debt instead of splitting your focus. But there were two important points Candace made with her method. First, investing feels more like growing your wealth than paying off debt does. And if contributing a bit more to your 401k or opening an IRA while you work on your debt makes you more committed to your whole money journey, then do it, especially because the sooner you can start investing in compounding growth, the better. I would note, though, that I personally wouldn't prioritize investing over paying off high interest debt any debt with interest rates over 7 or 8%, because long-term stock market gains won't offset what you're paying in interest. But the second point Candace made, whether or not you choose to invest while paying off debt, is that if you really want to build wealth over your lifetime, you have to focus on growing your assets. 
even along your debt payoff journey, take some time to learn about investing. Look for new ways to advance your skills and increase your earnings potential. Once you get out of debt, you're not done with your money journey, mama. That's when it's time to really lean into growing your assets and creating financial freedom. And you'll be able to grow faster if you start building your skills early. You've got this. I want to thank Candice again for joining me on the show and sharing her tips for getting out of debt and building wealth. Be sure to check out her website and resources like her Hero in Your Finances workbook, which we'll have links to in the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Candice. Mama, thank you for hanging out with us. You're amazing. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend. I really appreciate you helping us grow. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next time.